folks, welcome back inside the Parisi Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show, coming to you live on Power Talk 1210. Please go to powertalk1210.com and download the app. We are full-on extraterrestrial radio streaming worldwide. So happy you could make us part of your day today. Without further ado, it's great to introduce to the program a spirit and one of the greatest guitarists in the world, Makoto Horiuchi. Welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Good morning, Jake, or uh, I guess it's afternoon. Yeah, right? well, tip, yeah, have another, have another espresso, and uh, good, good, good afternoon, brother man. Yeah, I need another espresso. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, uh, it's uh, it's great to connect with you, Makoto. I I, I just wanted to start um, by asking you about if you could paint a picture for us of the kind of cultural bias that your family faced as a Japanese. Uh, immigrants. I know you wound up in Boulder because Colorado was one of the the most friendly states to immigrants, and I find that we're still fighting this battle today. But I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your memories of that. Um, well, I remember growing. You know, when I was real young, the war was still on, so there was a lot of discrimination against uh, Asians. All, you know, it didn't matter what kind of an Asian you were, right? And uh, it was just, uh, I mean, among my peers, there were, you know, kids don't discriminate, but it was like in the neighborhood, the the, uh, older people. So, but I noticed it when I was a kid. Can you give an example? Oh, like we, we, uh, my dad bought his first house and, um, some of the neighbors, uh, you know, sent a petition around to stop stop it, the house from being sold. Hmm. Well, yeah, stuff like that. So, did you uh, were you aware of the Naropa Institute at all? Naropa Institute. That was uh, oh. you know where Kerouac and Ginsburg were in the U- University of Colorado Boulder area. That's where a lot of the beat. Poetry. Oh. oh. Oh, the uh, Tibetan monk, yeah. Well, yeah. No, 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 I mean, not even, that's where a lot of the beat poets set up shop. Was, was, was in, mm-hmm. was in, and I, I wasn't sure if you were um, around or even still in Colorado when that institute, I don't know, I'm going to look it up, but I don't know what when that institute took over. But, it, I mean, Boulder now is, is a very progressive town, but I'm just trying to figure out what it was like back then. Boulder, you know, Boulder was always progressive, but we, we moved to Denver because... Uh, uh, my parent, my parents needed a job, right? They moved to Colorado because uh, the Navy was going to have them teach uh, officers Japanese, and then they got there and they decided it was a security risk. Wow! So then, yeah. So then, my dad moved to uh, Denver and tried to find a job. I guess he had a very hard time doing that too. Um, is that? Would you say, how old were you when you moved to Denver? Oh, probably about three or something like that. I barely, you know, I barely remember. I, that's just from accounts for my mom. Right. But then you wound yeah. up, uh, I just want to figure out how you wound up to be roommates with Larry Coriel in, in Washington. Oh, so then when I, when I got time to go to college, I wanted to leave, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Actually, my, my high school days were pretty, I mean, Kids don't discriminate, you know. Sure, I think that's a very good point, actually. It really comes from the, 
the older uh, older generation kids don't aren't you know kids are not born to hate, and they're they're right. they're, they're exactly. taught that it's very succinct. So that's a very good point. Yeah, and and then so I decided to go to uh, University of Washington because all my relatives were up there, and so uh, I ended up in the dorm, and that's where I met Larry. We kind of just, you know, started listening to uh, music together, and then I found out he was a guitar player and he's playing all these, uh, all these bands. So I just started hanging out with him, and uh, you know, the scene at that time was—I don't know if he told you, he might not have told you about the bands he was with at the time. Oh, please, please but, fill me in. I mean, the the the, the, the thing about were, Coriel, Coriel said I transcribed one thing where he said he was in a organ trio and he knew he, he did not have the chops yet to uh to play uh so please t- please fill in the blanks there what what kind of bands was he in uh well he was playing with a it was kind of like um like seattle has a has a certain flavor the even the rock bands have a certain flavor and it's like um uh, at that time it was it was kind of cross funk and and uh you know rock mm-hmm. and Absolutely. all the dynamics and it was one of the biggest bands in seattle and uh, they played all these different ballrooms. There was a lot of ballrooms at that time in Seattle. And um, they, I remember driving down to, where was it, Kalanis Falls with Larry. And uh, there was a ballroom down there, and they played, uh, Dynamics played opposite the Whalers. Remember the, I don't know, well, you know you wouldn't remember the Whalers. They had a hit called Louie Louie. Sure, yeah, yeah. From that period. Yeah, that was one there. What was the instrumentation in the uh, dynamics? Wow. I remember the leader was a uh, saxophone player who eventually went to, uh, I can't remember his name. He went to North Texas State, and then he came back, and then they had some kind of blues band. And uh, one of my friends, um, Jim Gardner, that was one of the best bands in the in the city at the time. And Jim, I don't know. Have you ever talked to Jim? No, no, I have not. He's a pretty interesting guy. He uh, he was um, Philip Woo's and uh, Kenny G's high school band teacher. Right. And and he came down to the Bay Area, opened this. He married uh, one of the Levi's and opened up a studio in Berkeley. And then he divorced his wife and opened his own studio in Oakland. I think it's called uh, Pajama Studios. Yeah. I guess anyway. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that time. I've chronicled, uh, you know, I've interviewed Marty Ballin from uh, the, the original Jefferson Airplane, and I've, I've talked to a, a lot of cats. Um, LSD was legal at that time when you met Coriel, were you guys taking a lot, tripping out a lot? <laughs> not until we hit, not until I hit New York. Can you talk about a, uh, a, a definitive, uh, I guess two part question. Can you, can you talk about uh, a memorable acid trip and then ultimately how it impacted your consciousness and and also your your improvisational abilities on the guitar where, where the ideas that it might have given you to take you to different areas mm. well 
the uh, whole, I mean, everybody was, everybody was taking drugs at the time, right? You, and when, when, you, when you say everybody, you're talking square cats, too, that didn't know it? I mean, everybody is, every, that's a lot of people. Because, that, I mean, drugs have been marginalized seriously now. I'm just talking about, it's my, one of my theories is that there were just a lot of square cats that dosed or got dosed, and it really helped intros- with their introspection. And it helped them with humility. It helped them with their ego. So when you say everybody, you're not just talking about the musicians. You're talking about everybody. Well, I remember when we met the uh, airplane one time, and uh, they gave us some of the, I think it was called Owsley at the time. Uh, the, yeah, the, yeah, sure, sure. Owsley, yeah. Owsley was the Yeah, yeah. and um, that's that started the whole. <laughs> I, I experimented with it, but uh, I didn't take that much of it. I I, I remember seeing Coltrane one time on. On acid. Oh my God! This is this is where the rubber meets the road. Break this down. Where? where? Oh, man, it was like it was at the Village Vanguard, right? And um, <laughs> I had befriended. Oh, what was this guy's name? Max Max Gordon, I think it was. Oh, Max, was Max was the, absolutely, absolutely, yep. And uh, so I had befriended him, and he would, you know, give me a discount because he knew I didn't have money. And uh, so I went there when Coltrane was playing with. Uh, it was the uh, Rashid Ali oh, version wow. with with Allison and uh, Farrell. and when he played, I could see the his his I call it chi or key coming out of his horn. <laughs> wow! You could see it. It was yeah, it was just amazing. Can you spell that word? What did you say? Would you see coming out of his horn? Uh, like key. Like in uh, martial arts, you you have something called key. Like in in uh, oh, I know it is chi. You you say key. Chi is qi. Chinese. The Chinese word for it. Key is so you Japanese. Saw, you saw the key coming out of his horn. What can you possibly put that into words? That is so awesome because that 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 that, that, <laughs> that, that I know that chi and I, I, my wife is Taiwanese, so I, I pronounce it the Chinese way. And that chi right, right. when when it's shrouded inside of me. It's not a good feeling, but when that energy is solid, it's incredibly transcendent. I mean, what did what did that? What was that about? How, that's crazy. Well, key key energy is is the energy that you you have inside of you, right? That, right. That, that I call it like universal energy. It's the same. It's the same energy that um, I think I read one of your interviews with uh, Miroslav. He's talking about universal. Playing music and uh, yeah, it wasn't tapping about into the absolutely. universe. Yeah, well, well, playing from the heavens. Yeah, yeah, playing from the heavens, right? And that's the same, the same thing that that martial artists get into, except they use that energy to to bust heads up, right? <laughs> right, and stay and yeah, well, and stay and stay focused because the, the, the they might be laying some haymakers and and the guy's not going down, so they gotta. They got to keep woodshedding, but um, continue, please. Yeah, so that's the same, and it's also the same energy that that um, qigong and uh, like um, a healing art that I study uses to heal people. Do you so, do, do you do, can you talk about that? Um, you brought up the uh, music from the heavens, the music coming through you. Uh, can you talk about? 
your musical relationship with uh, Eric Gravatt and, and if that exists within your playing. I, I noticed you guys had a really hip kind of uh, band with a female singer uh, and the two of you were just kind of in this cool, funky groove, but you were definitely on the same, you were operating on the same frequency. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he and I are kind of like brothers of the universe. <laughs> I love it. I met, I met, uh, Eric and, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. It was called the little yellow slut by the hurricane. Oh, wow. Oh, that was Jessica Hagenhorn's group. Uh, yeah, the, so the Makoto Horiyu. Called the, uh, it's called the Gangster Choir. The g- Actually, I don't think Gravat was the drummer on that group. Well, he, no, he, he sure, was. he sure was. No, I'm looking at this live, perf- was, huh? I'm looking at this live performance, August 28th, 2011. Eric Kamu Gravat on drums, uh, Isaku Kagiyama on taiko drums and percussion. Uh, a guy named Shido on bass, Glenn Pearson on Oh, drum. that one. Oh, we did a benefit. That's, that's a part. Poetess I know from Tokyo. I loved, I just really thought that was super creative. But anyway, talk about, um, I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, Trip and Face, seeing Coltrane, but talk about playing music with Gravat. I mean, how did you become Soul Brothers? Well, we met in a, we met, it was a group of artists and musicians that met in the, in the early, early 70s. And, uh, it was Jessica Hagedorn, Eric Kerbad, and uh, Trelawney, and uh, Antozaki was part of that group. I don't know if you know who. No, you're blowing Antozaki. my you're blowing my mind. Right, I don't know. I have no idea who these guys are. Dude. Antozaki Shange uh, wrote a play for uh, it was called uh, for Colored Girls Only. Okay. That became a big a big hit, and she. Uh, and then uh, Jessica also became very, she went to New York and did the public theater, you know, did the public theater and became very well-known poet and writer. She has books out now. I know her, no, I know her very well. Mm-hmm. But when you, this collective, where did you meet and, 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 and how did you and Eric uh, connect? Well, we were both, we were all part of that group. Oh, another person was uh, David Johnson. David Johnson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing player. And he he went off into Sufism. Which is a very, yeah, I love that. I love Sufism. Yeah, he runs a Sufi center in uh, Santa Cruz now. Really a wonderful person, yeah. And so that group of artists, we all got together and tried to get funding, and we never, you know, we never did. <laughs> it was all, it was always, you know, I think there's musicians are always chasing some kind of funding to, to survive, right? Sure, sure. Whether it's gigs or whatever. Would you say that the music was too abstract, and that's why you couldn't get the funding? Yeah, a lot of it was way ahead of the time, you know. In what in what sense? Um, just the whole concept of the music. Like, I did you get a chance to listen to any of that um, uh, marine intrusion stuff? 
not 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 with a not with hard listening. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Once you hear that, you'll you'll understand. And uh, yeah, I don't think. I mean, it was we were just playing what we were hearing, you know. And and there was you know there was groups like uh, like Weather Report, the first iteration of Weather Report that Kerbot played in, but then you know it turned and then it then it you know turned the music turned more into um, away from the you know like the the really out kind of stuff to um, more black kind of know, like black funk kind of stuff yeah exactly yeah no I did but Gravat actually was the second drummer right I mean Alphonse Mouzon was the original drummer oh yeah that's right yeah that's that, right. because I just found that I just found out how he got fired from the band from by Wayne Sh I told you that story by Wayne but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. um but you know, I just I would like you to talk about on the band's love, on the bandstand. I mean, you've had, uh, you've you've. I mean, I think you're right. I think improvisational artists struggle for um, any type of compensation, and in this day and age, it's even harder. But what preserves you guys, and what's and what promotes, and what and what and what's you know keeps you together is the love on the bandstand. And I just wanted you to talk about. Uh, you know that that kind of feeling when you're up there playing with other people, connecting with them on a spiritual level, the same way that you saw Alice and Coltrane and Rashid Ali play, and how you've put your own uh, bands together uh, and collaborations uh, throughout the years. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, it's like it's it's the best. It's one of the best things I've ever experienced. Is I I don't know if I can even. See it it's like it's like connecting with with people on a spiritual level in a group right and it's and it's very hard to find a group of people it, it I think it extends over like all kinds of things you know it can like like in sports right now the, uh, the warriors right 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 with curry the same thing it's, it's a group of people that can that have the same spirit and they connect and it's something, it's an energy, well, and then relating it back to, to uh, like, Key and Chi, it's the same energy. It, it's energy that comes through you. I'm getting pretty far out here. <laughs> well, that's what my show is. No, I want you to keep going, because this is what I, I'm, I'm, this is not fluff. I mean, when you go out, mm -hmm. how do you go out? I mean, people need, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we're just living through a very conformist time right now. Uh, some would say that there are parts of the country that are, in a full-on police state, uh, you look at incarceration rates across the country, the prison systems are bulging out of control. Nonconformity is seen as an illegal offense. So please talk about going out, being out. I think, well, part of it, I think, is the conditions today, you know, people, people are so stressed out because of all the stuff that's going on. It's it's like being able to open up your your yourself so that you can let it's not well it it, it can apply to meditation too the same thing that that yogis talk about trying to free your mind of of you know everything emptiness and let your let your mind go wherever it wants that's I think that's the 
way I can describe it. Is that what was going? Can you talk about? Um, and then you can co-join that with a musical collaboration. Like uh, I, I did want to talk to you, Makoto, about. Um, uh, you know, I've talked to so many guys uh, that have played it in in Japantown at Jigogu. How do you spell Jigogu? And talk about that as a, a bastion of of the opportunity for cats to to, to woodshed. Oh yeah, that was that was a wonderful experience. It, it was run by two uh, uh, Japanese sanseis. That means uh, like third generation Japanese in this country, and uh, Glenn and Warren. And uh, so they presented like um, basically jazz music at at the time. And uh, the anchor to that club was. Um, Flip Nunez and Michael Howell and Eddie Marshall. They would play there on weekends. And uh, and then we'd play, I think we had a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something every week. And, yeah, it was like people like uh, Ed, Eddie Henderson would come down and play with us all the time. <laughs> it was great. It was like a school. And uh, I remember uh, the drummer... Uh, was taking from Eddie Moore, and he come down and played with. Us. Uh, yeah, Eddie Moore, man, that dude had a heart attack and died on the bandstand. Yeah, and Yoshi's, yeah. but I mean, those cats were playing. I mean, that's the. Th- I mean, it wasn't school though, because I mean, Eddie Moore was was playing with Dewey Redmond and Eddie Marshall. Those guys were playing from the heavens. I mean, they're, they you, you can't play that in school, and that was true. No, but I mean, the school in the sense of you you got to play with these people and learn from them. You know, sure. Absolutely. And that, that's non-existent today. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the, mentor, the mentoring component. I mean, I talked to a drummer the other day, and uh, I, I think he teaches over at Sonoma State drumming. And and the best you can do now is have somebody from one at one university come over and check out your students at your university. But it's not at some dive club, you know, serving quail eggs and sushi. Uh, at Jigogu, uh, playing the the dawn session. I mean, the dawn sessions to me, uh, that was the epitome of learning who you were and what you needed to do to, to get better. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was some hard lessons too. Sometimes. <laughs> Can you talk about uh, overcoming adversity uh, with one of those lessons? Uh, put a, an example of when you got when you got humbled. Oh, I'm. I'm when I when I was first starting to get it together, all the time people were saying, "Oh, you can't play, you know, blah, blah, blah. and I just have to go back and t- to the woodshed and figure it out." You know, I think most most musicians go through that. You know, can you give it a specific specific example? Of what, I mean, because I think some people were probably trying to bully you too. But can you give an example of a time when someone tried to rattle you psychologically and? Uh... Uh, I, was, I remember one time I was in a band and, and the bass player said, oh, I don't want him to play. He can't play. And, you know, I was struggling. So, you know, and everybody else was supportive to me. So we, we just went ahead. <laughs> right. But it, it takes a lot, yeah. of, a lot of intestinal fortitude. Um, talking to Makoto Horiuchi, um, gifted guitarist. Can you talk to the audience about... Uh, what you think the great qualities of leadership are, and who the great, the best leader that you worked under was? Leadership qualities. Um, it, well, in music, it's usually 
people who who can show you a way to go, you know, without without getting in the way, right, of what you can do. It's it's to use another sports analogy. It's it's like you use people like what they do best, right? Right. And and put them in a group and let them do what they do best. Yeah. Who was the best leader you ever worked under? Um, I think uh, Julian Priester, Papal Julian Priester. <clears throat> that was that was one of the best bands I played in. But as a as a leader, can you talk about some of the nonverbal leadership skills he displayed? Why was he the best leader you ever worked under? Uh, he would never really say. He would he he would always like tell you what the concept of what the piece was, and he always talked about the approach. It's the approach, and so how you approach the piece that, that you're playing, and then he would just let us play. Did and you, the music yeah. was really free. I mean, it was really free music. I can't wait to get into the to those to those those tunes. Uh, I got to download them. And uh, but you you were part of the uh, Marine Intrusion Band, the original Marine Intrusion Band. It was the original version, and then um, I don't know. I think I started my own band or something. And and uh, after I left, I think Ray Ray Obiedo joined the band and. Uh, Ron Stallings played. Daoud left too, and, and uh, Ron Stallings joined the band. The, so the, it was it was Daoud Johnson, uh, Makoto, uh, Julian Priester. Uh, who else was in the in the group? Uh, Hashima, Mark Williams, and um, he's a uh, he's been playing in the Bay Area a lot lately. I mean, he's he's like the number one stand up bass player around here now. And then uh, we. We had uh, Augusta Collins on drums, great drummer. And so then where is that Augusta, cat? Where is that cat? I've never heard of that cat. Oh, he passed recently. Oh. And uh, yeah, and um, Augusta Collins. He, he he got into drugs. Sure. He got into heroin, and then uh, I guess he, at one point he was homeless, and then he came back. He beat it, came back and started playing guitar. <clears throat> Became a blues man. And played around the Bay Area. I wish I would have. I never knew that until after he passed. After I read his, you know. Did you guys ever? Story. I mean, I. So was there ever? A, I know that the Marine Intrusion, the the second amalgamation, was able to get into the studio, and cut an album. Was there ever any possibility of you guys? Uh, did you ever cut any any studio stuff together? No, unfortunately, that that was unfortunate that we did. I don't. I don't know why. That never happened. But, you know, at the time, you're just struggling to make ends meet, so you have to go do whatever you can to stay alive. Were you playing places like the the Keystone Corner? Where What kind of venues were you playing? Uh, mostly I was playing in Japantown because... I, I mean, with, had, with, I had yeah, a, with Marine Intrusion, though, you were? Oh, no, no. We had the uh, one-week... One day a week with uh, Jigo at Jigoku, but then I, I I was playing like a Japanese businessman's club, and that kept me alive for a long time. Real like we play, um, oh, what do they call that? It's a it's a 
it's a form of Japanese pop music. And uh, I think they call it Enka. And, uh, and so we'd, play, we'd start out the evening doing that, right? And then by the time the third, second or third set came around, Everybody would be so drunk we could play whatever we want. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to, uh, this is so important. Uh, I've, I've interviewed guys like Emil Richards, uh, percussionists, uh, guys that were in the big bands in the four, in the 50s. Uh, they were going to Japan directly to uh, play sort of goodwill tours uh, after we destroyed uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, mm. Do you, can you shed some light on why? My belief is that it was at that time that big band music that was really heading into bebop that made the Japanese fanatical for the art form of jazz. But why do you, because I mean, out of all the Asian cultures, the I mean, the most rabid music fans are the Japanese. And I was just wondering why that was. Um, well, part of it was, you know, the, the, um, the occupation. So they, they, uh, they came in contact with black music that way. A lot of them worked at the at the bases and started hearing black music. And then, you know... Yeah, because a lot of my friends came from Japan to come over here to learn the music. Which is, you know, that's pretty interesting, too. It's It's really interesting that all these people came to this country... And today, that the music isn't even really played hardly. You know. Well, I mean, explain why they got off on black music. Uh, the same reason you and I got. Because <laughs> it's okay. So, so they just they were inti- they were intoxicated with the rhythms and the groove, and they wanted to learn it. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Did you did you mention uh, did you know uh, this cat uh, Seiji Ozawa? No, I, but one time, I mean, I met him a couple of times. I'm, one time he came, came into that Japanese businessman's club. <laughs> it was funny, man. And so we started playing some funk. Oh, I love it. And he got up and danced. <laughs> dude, I, that dude, I mean, he was one of the most badass. He still is a badass conductor. I mean, he's unbelievable. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you, um, uh, I guess, you know, um, uh, Makoto, I, I I would love to uh, continue this conversation. We we kind of went all over the place today. We have we did we have we have a lot more to we have a lot more to get to. But I I I'm really fascinated getting down to the nuts and bolts of this uh, Japanese intrusion of ja- of music because uh, the most active, rabid, hard listening cats are the Japanese. I mean, you, the Chinese aren't like that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want it's starting to spread. It's starting to spread in the other parts of Asia, though. That is true, um, actually. I, I, yeah, that, yeah, but we'll, 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 we'll like, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just saw that uh, Buster Williams and Paul Jackson played some Korean jazz festival, and uh, I know somebody in uh, Hong Kong is doing like R and B and blues. Yeah. Right. 
Uh, well, I, I'm going to send you an audio file this later, and we'll be in touch and, and set up a part two real soon, Makoto. Much love to you, man. Really, it was an honor to connect with all you. All right. All right? Hope it wasn't too scattered today. All right. This is what it's about. I love it, man. We were all over the place. So it was good. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure you told some things you've never, you've never thought about for a long time. So that's my goal. That's for sure. All right, yeah. brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. Take care. All right. Nice talking to you. You too, Bye. man. Yeah. We'll be right back on the Jake Feinberg Show. Me, my. 